Hello and welcome to this, which is Memory's 11th Smart Building series of 2017. Uh, and today we're talking about making Internet of Things device data just work. And it's a Q&A with Project Haystack. I'm really happy to have uh, John Petsy and Mark Petock on the line, from uh, both from Project Haystack. Hello, guys. Hey, Jim, thanks so much for an opportunity to speak with you and, and your audience. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Great. Okay. Yeah, and this is Mark. And this is Mark Petock. Thanks, Jim, and welcome to the global audience. And we look forward to uh, a lively presentation. Great. That's, yeah, same here. Uh, and obviously, we, we're going to go through some slides. Uh, so, just a little bit of housekeeping to start. If anyone has any questions, then uh, please type them in. Um, I'll, I'll get them here and then what I'll probably do is either wait till after the presentation or if I think there's you know an appropriate point um, then I'll, I'll, I'll interject uh, but we've left plenty of time for for questions at the end um, also uh, we're recording this and it's going to be available on um, uh, I, uh, SoundCloud uh, so also if you guys want to subscribe to um, our content you can do that on iTunes now um, and SoundCloud as well. All you need to do is search for the Smart Building Series. Um, so yeah, let's um, let's get started. Okay, great. Well, Jim, I think uh, you know one of the goals today is to help uh, people understand uh, what this new open source standards effort is trying to do, uh, Project Haystack. Um, as more and more focus and understanding of the power of data and Internet of Things devices, um, as people understand that better, they run into an issue that they may not have expected at the outset, which is, uh, while these devices may talk on a range of standard protocols, they actually don't have any standard way of describing their data. Um, it's, I often find people are quite surprised by the challenge. and so. You know, our, our organization got started back in um, 2011 and we started with a really simple goal, right? We need to make all of this data, very valuable data, easier to work with. And so, you know, that's really the high level um, overview of what Project Haystack is about. We'll get into some detail uh, today. Uh, as we have discussed um, to put this together, we wanted to talk about a few of these topics, the importance of data interoperability, um, the challenge that's out there, and uh, how Haystack helps address that need, and then talk about what the you know the Haystack community because uh, this is a completely open source effort, volunteer based, um, but gaining tremendous momentum and adoption and acceptance, and then provide the other perspective that this is really part of the overall need of organizations to have a data management strategy and data management planning. So you know, that kind of frame our, our comments um, for today. And uh, as you said, we'll be happy to answer questions here that come in. So, so I'll start with that. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So, so to describe this, this challenge, right, there's a tremendous amount of data out there. Um, through all of the new um, Internet of Things devices and price points are making it possible to do things that weren't really viable before. But surprisingly, um, the device data has what's called poor semantic modeling, okay? And it may be a little, little bit of an esoteric term, but really all it means is information that describes what does the data mean, right? right? So that someone who isn't intimately familiar with the device will know when they're reading a value you know, 76.2. What does that mean? That is that a room temperature or whatever? And when people want to take the data that comes out of these devices um, and bring it together for some type of value added purpose from something as simple as viewing it on a screen or graphing it or charting it or something more sophisticated like doing automated analytics, without meaning, you end up running into an, an a roadblock, which is a labor-intensive process where somebody has to manually say, oh, this means this. This, this is what this is. And the challenge is it adds cost um, to the process. It slows the process. And it makes it uh, 
harder to use this valuable data and, and get the value out of it. So that's that's the challenge that's out there. And, and again, I'll, I'll emphasize, it doesn't matter about the protocol, right? You can be working with a standard protocol, but when you do a read out of that system, does the data come out in a way that clearly defines in a consistent human readable and machine readable way what the data means, okay? So we're really talking about data interoperability. And I think what the industry's been focused on in the last um, you know, generation of technology was network interoperability, right? These two devices can talk the same protocol. Well, that's not the same thing as when I get the data, it can now be interoperable among different applications that are able to determine what it means. So that's the challenge there. And maybe I'll pause for a second, Jim, just to see if, you know, if, if that was clear to you and you have any, you know, questions on that. And yeah. uh, John, I'm, this is Mark. I'm going to go ahead and just add just one thing. And then Jim, um, you know, with respect to data interoperability, um, one thing that we view this as it's a key criteria to making any um, any type of data uh, plan, any type of data management, any type of data strategy, uh, a key integral part of this. Um, you know, we look at the world of IoT and now how it's, it's obviously invaded almost, well, virtually invaded every industry. Uh, and um, you talk about, we, we know we can connect to the, the devices and the systems. We know we can get data out of those uh, out of those different devices and systems. But without being able to make that data interoperable, there is no way that I think the value of the um, what you're trying to do will um, get you there without uh, making the data interoperable. And that's one of the places where Project Haystack plays a, an integral role. Yeah, I think that's just um, a really interesting point about the difference between, you know, uh, data interoperability and machine interoperability, right, or network interoperability, that, yeah. that, that this is really about, you know, being able to understand the, the data that's coming that out of these sensors and different devices. Yeah, I think that'll become clearer. We'll go through an example for, for our listeners today. So, you know, what is Project Haystack? Well, it's an open source initiative. Uh, it's a community of people who came together and said, hey, we need to address this challenge. And we're going to do it by creating a standardized approach to defining what are called information models, semantic data, uh, metadata. It's, you know, referred to in a number of different ways. And the vision was, you know, if we come up with a standardized methodology, it has to be very flexible, work across all different types of network protocols, work with different software applications. If we can do this, then it's going to make it easier uh, and more cost effective to utilize that data that's coming out of the devices. And, you know, if I only have a few minutes to explain to people what this is, I say, you know, it's like a markup language, right? A way we can mark up our data so that it can be interpreted. And we'll talk about, you know, a, a, an example of a, of a markup language, right? Um, if you think of it, right, all right, when you think of a markup language, let's think about how we all use the web, right? Why can I point my browser at your website and be able to read what you published, right? Jim, you and I didn't pre-coordinate, right? Hey, John, here's how my website's going to be done, and so you'll have to write software in your browser to read it. We didn't do that. Right, and prearrange anything, and the reason it works is because years ago the industry agreed on a markup language. When you're going to write text to put on a web page, you will follow this markup language HTML, right? And that was done long, long ago. And uh, now I can write a web page, and if I follow the rules, you'll be able to read it, right? Um, you know, the data on your website is, of course, text at this point, but the same concept applies to Haystack. It's really doing the same thing for device data, machine data, sensor data, equipment data, control system data, whatever, but it's a markup language for that. So, you know, with that analogy, let's just, uh, let's look at an example, right? Um, you know, one of the things that uh, has happened in uh, most automation systems is, you know, you, you end up with these crazy abbreviations for names, right? And you can hope that they're well 
documented someplace, but oftentimes they're not. So, you know, if somebody asked me, you know, hey, John, will you go and uh, analyze this? And they threw a name at me, like what I'm showing on the screen, ZN3-WWFL4, right? I don't, if I don't have any legend or descriptive information, I don't know what that means, right? But it does have a value, 76.2. But somebody wants me to evaluate that and say it's okay. So, you know, Jim, I, I'd ask you, hey, first of all, what is this? 76.2 what? 76.2 kW? Okay, or 76.2 degrees C or degrees F. And so we all deal with simple concepts of this markup language, right? Because numbers have no meaning without units, right? If I say I'm going to give you 100, 100 what, right? So the first thing somebody would say is, oh, yeah, John, that's, you know, 76.2 degrees F. We'll go with Fahrenheit today. Um, and that's, now I know something about it. I know one fact about it, right? But I'm still being asked, is that okay? Well, now I need to know what it is. I know the measure is 76.2 degrees Fahrenheit, but is this the room temperature, the zone that you're sitting in? Because uh, for those of you familiar with Fahrenheit, you may go, well, that's getting a little warm, a little uncomfortable, right? Or on the other hand, might it be the return air temperature that's the, sp the air coming out of you know, the space at the top? And I'd expect it to be that warm. In other words, that might be right exactly where I expect it to be. Or might be something totally different, chill water supply temperature. 76.2 would be not be a good value for that in the middle of the summer. Okay. So if I asked you, you might say, oh, yeah, John, uh, yeah, it, it's a zone temperature. Okay, so I know another fact about it. But before I can evaluate if that is the right, you know, if 76.2 is okay, I have another question for you. What's the schedule? Because you know what? On night setback, that is okay. But at 9 a.m. when the room's occupied, it's not. So I'm asking for another fact, but this is a different type of fact. This is an association, right? What schedule is associated with that temperature sensor, right? And I might want to know other things. Is it an, is it an exterior zone? Is maybe I have a sun load problem and while it's getting warm, there's nothing much I can do about it because of the design of the building. Uh, is it a VAV box? Uh, what air handler serves it? Another association, right? Because if I'm having a problem in the zone, maybe it's, caused upstream by the air handler, and that's where I want my technician or my software to look. So those are the facts, but now I have to say, how can I represent that in a standard way so that other software can interpret it? And you know, that's one of the things we're seeing with the Internet of Things is devices from different manufacturers, software from different suppliers being brought together. So that's why this is important, right? So, Here's an example of a representation of that, those things we just talked about, right? What is it? What's the units, um, et cetera, okay? Um, you know, so just to give you an idea of what a representation might look like in one software application, but it actually, you know, it could be represented in an Excel spreadsheet or any other application. What we've done, though, is to find a standard way to represent these different attributes descriptors, et cetera. So that's the, that's the core idea of what we're talking, talking about with um, Project Haystack and the work that the organization's doing. So. Any thoughts or questions on that? If not, we'll you know, get into the next topic because actually, you know, now that if everybody's got that, that concept, we're gonna find out that Haystack actually is more than just that. Yeah, no, I, th I think that, that that's a great explanation. Um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, let's let's get into um, to a bit more. Okay. So so, anyways, we you know it, down in this white box here is probably another way to um, explain this, right? You know what we're often dealing with in a control system building automation system is just this, what's shown in red, the point name. And if you happen to be intimately familiar with the building, you know what it means. But if you don't, you don't know what it means, right? So how can we? describe it. Well, these tags in green, those are haystack tags that say it's a sensor. It's a discharge type. It's measuring air. It's a temperature. And its units is degrees Fahrenheit. Those tags tell me what I need to know about that, right? Along with this other tag, the association. Which air handler is this supplier temperature sensor associated with? So those are the tags that give a uniform understandable meaning to the thing 
that's represented as HU1.SAT. So what we say is it's a methodology first for defining the meaning of device data, okay? And, uh, you know, key points here are is that we've taken the software industry open source uh, approach to doing this work. Um, it's highly flexible. It's applicable to all different types of data. So we have people doing, uh, you know, standard tagging libraries for solar systems, electric meters, you know, all different types of systems. Because what we've done is a first just uh, define a methodology, okay? So with that methodology then, industry experts, equipment system experts come together, and then they create what we call equipment models. They say, here's how an electric meter should be defined with tags. And a bunch of people who have that expertise, you know, birds of a feather come together in what we call working groups, and they, hash it out, make suggestions, debate it out, and they say, yep, this working group is in consensus. Here's how we should all agree to, here are the tags, the standard tags we should all agree to use on an electric meter, on a chiller, on a boiler, on an air handler, et cetera. Oh, okay, um, so, so these, um, these groups will pick a specific <laughs> subject to target. These, um, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. these and we work, have a number of working groups. But, that, yep. but that's key, right? We create a methodology, but now then it's, then it's the practitioner people say, okay, I'm going to take this methodology and I'm going to see how can I apply it to electric meter, air handler, VAV box, et cetera. It's how, how really the methodology, you know, got wrung out. Um, but it also brings together the people who are experts, right? You know, the software people may, uh, you know, uh, on the team who define this methodology may not be experts in boilers, don't have to be, right? A working group of people who understand boilers or air handlers get together and say, okay, thanks for the methodology. Here's how we would use it for these types of equipment. And they put out a consensus agreed upon model. What's key about that, though, is this is extensible. So I can say, you know, as a user, I can say, you know what, that's a great basic model for a boiler system, but I actually have a unique one that well, I'm going to need to add some other tags to. And you can do that. You can add user-defined tags to the consensus-developed tag models without breaking things. That's what's key, because if software is designed to be able to interpret the methodology, it can interpret not only the consensus-agreed tags, but it can read custom tags, and there's a technique for you to include the descriptors for that. And that, that's been key to, to this um, getting off the ground, right? When we started this back in 2011, right? They had to bring together, you know, worldwide community. HVAC systems are different in Europe and Asia, and you know, this has to work for all of them, and it's uh, held up extremely well to do that. Oh, that's really so, interesting, so that you can have these um, custom tags as well. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's yeah. a lot of flexibility built into uh, the way that it can that it you can develop it. Yeah, and, and I think that's key. In fact, you know, a couple I mentioned one of the things we try to stress is it's not uh, the network protocol, right? It's what information gets carried in that network protocol. But here, here's the other thing: it's also not a standardized naming convention. We are not trying to tell people you should name your points this way. You name them any way you want to fit your own internal needs, your local needs, local language needs, whatever. But then the tags provide a uniform, standardized way of interpreting what the meaning is, what the facts about those points are. Um, and that's really essential because nobody's going to go and re rename all their points in building automation systems. That's done, right? Different systems have different limitations. And if you want to think about all of the tags I had here, you know, that would be a pretty long point name. I don't know any building automation system that could, you know, hold a uh, 300 character point name and you wouldn't want to anyways, right? It's really kind of, you know, again, as I said, a markup language saying, you know, here's what this means. So the methodology is the first thing. The consensus developed models are the second thing, but it turns out that Paystack is even more than that. I had a couple of questions. Um come in John I think it might be might be good to take them now um, do you or could you see haystack as a tool to create a custom DSL uh, I'm not familiar with that term uh, that what was it DSL yeah maybe the um, the, the guy that put that question can uh, I'm not familiar with it either but uh, we can maybe clarify that one 
Oh, here we go. Domain specific language. Well, um, again, I'm not fully sure of the intent, but I will say this while he may even clarify further. You know, this is used across different domains, right? It is not tied just to buildings. We have people, you know, solar installations, parking systems. You know, the methodology can cross all different types of applications, industrial control systems, anything, because it's really a way to say, what are the facts associated with this thing, this sensor, this piece of equipment? Um, so our view was, you know, this should be able to cross any domain. If, if it's, you know, just like HTML should be able to cross any domain, whether I want to sell shirts on the internet, you sell research, you know, Mark sells control products, I sell software. We're all using HTML for our web pages, right? This should work the same way, and it does, which is no matter what the devices are, sensors, equipment, et cetera. You should be able to apply this markup methodology to it and solve the issue so that different people can consume the data and be able to interpret what it means. Okay. Um, yeah, there came up just a bit of clarification here. So uh, DSLs are used to express domain-specific means. For instance, TSQL would be uh, the most prominent one, or uh, XAML and HTML would be others. Just a bit of clarification. Oh. Well, from that point of view, yeah, we, we think our domain for this markup language is Internet of Things device data. Okay. Right. That's what we're not trying to change how you do web pages, but we're trying to change how the world deals with the data flowing out of all these devices. And, um, you know, that, we, we took this on, I think, pretty early. Uh, we haven't seen another, um, you know, solution that, uh, is as far developed as this and again it's open source so people can come in and say hey you're you know i think you need to add this and that becomes part of the community so you know very much like how linux and other major open source things are developed it's driven by the community members so people uh check each other's work and make suggestions and critique and you know it's a great way for uh you know minds to come together and get hammer out the very best solution Absolutely. Yeah, we, we've got plenty more questions, but I, I guess with this, they can be saved for the end. So let's um, let's get on with well, a bit about it. All right. Well, I'm happy to, happy to you know, take them at any point in time, Jim. Sure. I'll, I'll let you, you're seeing them use your judgment. Absolutely. So the third thing that Haystack is, and again, this gets to the point, you know, well, hopefully it's now simple to explain the core of what we're doing. The third thing is software tools. Um, the community has built software tools to help people implement Paystack. So the, there's a defined API, a REST style API, that if you make your software or your device talk Haystack, the API is ready to go and define. So you can just get that document and build your software to be able to read Haystack data out of anything that produces Haystack data. But then it went even further, this reference implementations of this API in a variety of languages. Java has been done, Node.js, Dart, Python, C++. Um, I actually think there's one or two more that have been done, and that's been done by community members, right? Hey, I'm a, you know, I'm a Dart language guy, and uh, I'm going to take the, you know, the documentation and the uh, Java Im reference implementation, and I'm going to create a Dart reference implementation and give it back to the open source community. So there's a number of those out there. That, oh, there's one for Niagara as well. In fact, there's two different um, ones for Niagara-based uh, products, which of course are a big part of the building automation market. The other thing is people have created apps, uh, software plugins, um, as, as I mentioned here, and Haystack, but even other tools. Uh, you know, one of the community members built a uh, open source tool to tag data so you could connect to a uh, you know some legacy data in a sql database suck it in and you know with a variety of automated tools go through the tagging process or bring in text files or csv files or whatever um, so community helping other members of the community adopt this in their products and their applications okay so you know the the end result let you know let's talk about you know what what does this finally enable why are we doing this right 
and and the the goal here is applications that just work. I can write an application to you know analyze control system data, fault detection on HVAC, or you know energy analysis, and it should be able to consume this data without that manual step of mapping and defining data. And you know some examples here. Um, there are companies out there now who have you know um, graphics packages for BAS that will auto generate the actual drawings because they can read, here are the points, here's what the equipment is, right? It's an HU, here are the points associated with it, how they're associated with it. So we can, from a library, auto-generate these graphics that used to require significant manual effort to create. That's probably one of the more, uh, you know, amazing things to see happen if you see a demonstration of one of these projects where you just by giving it the, the haystack tagged points, the graphics auto-generate. This is you know, out there in the market today. But it also extends to control logic, and I think this VAV box is a good example. You know, if I had 200 variable air volume controllers in a building, and I wanted to write programs that supervise or operate them, basically, in the past, I'd have to write the program and attach it manually to each VAV box. Well, now control logic can simply find all the similar devices and automatically apply itself. It says, I'm looking for VAV boxes. Here they are because I can find them based on their tags and now I control them. And so there are systems out there applying that today. Um, easier integration with external software applications, right? Maybe it's uh, connecting the data out of a building automation system into reporting, uh, into work order management, et cetera. Because there's now a defined API and definitions of how we're going to um, you know, define the data, it's much easier to do integrations with external applications. And the final thing we're seeing is people are building engineering tools to do the actual application of control systems. And they're building tools that now leverage the tagging to streamline the overall project impl implementation process. So these, these are some important, uh, you know, some important benefits that are happening for the people in the industry, the system integrators, the engineers, engineers, apply, engineers, applying, engineers applying it, users care about this stuff. So One of the things we're often asked is, well, wait a minute, you know, how can I use this? Because you know, while there are a number of products out there who have who are now supporting it natively, I have an older legacy system. You know, in other words, the question is, well, can I take advantage of Haystack in any way with my existing systems? And what should I look for in my new systems? And uh, th this slide that we'll go through here is really talks about the different architectures of how Haystack can be used, right? So if we start on the left, you know, the ideal, the future set that we're all working towards is end devices would have tags in them. And that means when you set up a sensor or a meter or a controller for a fan coil unit or a VAV box, to add the three or four tags to it that makes it um, defined and readable and interpretable. That's great. There are products doing that today. There's a number of companies shipping products that have Haystack embedded at the device level. But there's also lots of applications. Architecture is we're seeing a lot of adoption where Haystack is adopted and available at the global controller level. Um, for example, you know, uh, Tritium um, has announced their support for Haystack and Niagara 4, so they have Haystack tagging in there. Other companies are doing that as well. So I can take in sensor and device data that from end devices that isn't tagged, but I can add the tags at the global controller level when I set that database up. Okay. And now that means everything at the higher level the applications, whether it's visualization or classic graphics or mobile presentation or analytics, all of those things can happen in a much more streamlined way, right? The graphics can auto-assemble. We, we're seeing definite um, application of this in mobile, where you really don't have the screen space on your phone to draw some fancy 3D graphic. What you want is a clear summary 
contemporary with some graphic elements. And we've seen some great examples of people where their mobile interface just auto-generates by interpreting the tags. So I would say that is probably um, the most common use of Haystack is at the global controller level today. Although, as I said, we've seen manufacturers build it right into the edge devices. And then the final is, you know, this. My end devices don't have any facility or capability to hold tag. My global controllers don't as well. What can I do? Well, you can use a tool at the point that you're going to bring that data into your server level or user level applications. And at that point, you tag the data so that from that point on, it has, the tags have been captured, they're there, so all of those applications can now consume the data. And here's an example. Maybe when I start my project, all I care about is classic BAS graphics. If I tag the data as I build out those graphics, now when I later decide, hey, I want a mobile interface, or I want to add analytics, the data is already tagged and interpretable, so those additions happen much more streamlined, far less work. You don't have to go through the mapping process again. So it can be used even if you have the most legacy-oriented text-based data, Excel spreadsheets. Yeah, I mean, you can use tag, you can use haystack tagging on a yellow sheet of paper with a pencil to, to consistently describe the stuff that you're seeing when you do an audit of a building, for example. That's okay. great. Um, That's great. Sorry, John, I was just going to say, I'll just let everybody know Sorry, we've, John, um, just say, just let everybody know we've um, got some questions lined up and uh, when you're finished with, we'll take all Okay, well, I'm happy to break in if there's a question that we, you know might be, because the next thing we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about adoption, support, and uh, you know more organizational resources and stuff like that. So it might be a reasonable break point before we get into that to uh, try to answer a couple more questions. So why don't you go ahead? Okay, let's do that. Um, okay, let's do first that. one we got here. Um, um, first one we got here is um, Project Haystack. 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 Um, Backnet. Uh, does, it completely replace uh, does it completely replace backnet? My, my understanding yeah. is they're quite different. Maybe you could explain uh, the difference there. Okay, so backnet is a wire protocol that allowed devices to communicate on networks in the same way with the same, uh, you know, interaction, and it's a network protocol. Haystack does not replace backnet. Uh, there's, hey, uh, backnet includes some basic descriptors, right? So it wasn't devoid of descriptors, but it didn't go to the level of allowing you to add all of these descriptors around your data and typically wasn't brought out in a way that made it easy for, you know, the technician who's setting up a system to add these descriptive uh, tags. And in fact, the Haystack community and the BACnet community um, are working together to bridge the gap and um, we hope and expect that there will be more um, integration of the work between the two organizations. But no, Haystack does not replace BACnet, and BACnet does not do everything Haystack does. Uh, you know, the ideal concept here is within the BACnet protocol to find a way to carry this additional markup data, tagging data, um, so it doesn't re doesn't replace that and. Uh, Hopefully yeah. that, that helps with that question. Yeah, got it. Uh, next one. Um, can you use Haystack to create building ontology models? There's, there's ontology, yes. One of the things that, that, that it really, you know, if you talk to the software guys, that's what they call this. You're defining an ontology of the building systems all the way down from the site to the equipment, you know, to the sub-equipment, to the points on the equipment. So that's really what it does. Now, often when people ask that question, they're asking, uh, they're implying sometimes, um, can you create a uh, spatial 3D model of it? Haystack doesn't currently go to the level of, uh, you know, 3D space modeling that other standards go to. One of the uh, working groups on Project Haystack is actually coordinating with the BIM um, industry, if you will, uh, to start a conversation to bridge those standards because there's 
essential data that comes out of the BIM process in designing a building that should make it over to the operational phase of the building's life, right? Not all of it, but it's much of it. And Absolutely. and I. You know, and devices and equipment. Um, so, you know, hopefully that helps with that question. Yeah, uh, another one here. Um, what is being done with Project Haystack to prevent it be from becoming um, proprietary or, well, perhaps not the right word, but, but only being used by the HVA industry, much like uh, BACnet, uh, which is not used much outside of the HVAC industry? Yeah. So first of all, I want to stress that it's not proprietary in any way. It's open source. Sure. There are no fees to use. You don't even have to sign up. You can go to that website and download everything the community has uh, ever produced without even signing up for an account. That's very important to us. Uh, but yeah, we are trying to do outreach into other areas of equipment systems. Um, because this challenge is across all smart devices and IoT devices. And by the way, we, when, we, when we ran into this need back in 2010 and 11, we searched. We didn't find an alternate um, approach that was out there. So we are trying to do outreach into other markets. I recently um, uh, was a contributing editor to a series of articles on um, data modeling. Uh, Or in, I guess the way I would describe it is there are but most of them have been purely at the software level so in other words not exposed to the technician the engineer the person implementing the system the person living in the building because they're the actual ones who know the facts about the data that we want to capture and and what we've seen is while there are other concepts out there they're at a you know, really high level of software uh, knowledge. They haven't really provided technicians, you know, who could go through with an Excel spreadsheet or a pencil and add all the tags to the data. Uh, but it is one of our goals, um, and uh, we have been trying to reach out into those other segments. Um, so, okay, great. A little bit more of a, a technical question here. Um, it says, if I create custom tags. Um, uh, how will it communicate with external software for data analysis? Okay, so two things. One, if you have a project and you say, you know what, there's no standard tags for this, I just need to add them for my application, right? But it still follows the same methodology, the same API reads, the same, you know, then you can use it and never tell anybody else in the world, right? But ideally what you do is you could come and say, hey, you know what? Nobody seems to have addressed, uh, you know, well, one of the conversations we had uh, early in the year was solar systems, right? And the unique systems, et cetera. And so working group got together. We, with that working group, does to start and here's our initial proposal and then hopefully other people who have familiarity join in and they hash that out and then they say and then they publish this and it gets added to the library of tags but the way the API works is you can define tags and with the API another application would be able to read them out right now they'd have to have some lookup information from you But that's pretty easy. The lookup of what the tag, what tags are being, you know, being used from the way the API works makes it so you can decouple those two things. Great. Um, another question here. Um, I think it's basically saying how how do we import um, the data for Haystack? Um, so I, I guess it's sort of a question about generally, like how do you work with it? How can you, uh, as, as a developer, how do you interact with with not just sort of contributing to the project, but, but using it in your projects? Yeah, so the API supports numerous different formats. You can interact via XML if that's your favorite way of, you know, 
conveying data. You can uh, use JSON. Uh, you can use an open source format called Zinc. You can different ways of representing the data. And that's really important because some people, their apps are, you know, based on XML or or right the web works with multiple different formats that's kind of uh you know hidden from you when you browse the web that you might be working with a site that's using xml or, or json or other formats so um, you have lots of choice there um, so there's a variety of technical documentation on all of the implementations that's there for our software people to um, look into dig into great um also one here um said you may have missed this in the intro but is, is haystack supported by any IoT industry leaders, uh, so that results may become standard. It says in a similar way to to HTML was. Well, I'll I'll jump ahead a slide. I mean, these are the uh, current corporate members. We have founding members and board members. Great, that was uh, we're very excited this year to see. Yeah, we're very excited this year to see Intel join. Uh, Intel's IoT group uh, started using Haystack internally and then uh, became a speaker at two of our events and then joined uh, the board of directors. You have companies like Siemens and Legrand also on there. And then you have uh, associate members, uh, non-voting members, and you see companies like uh, you know Tritium, um, cross relationship with KMX, uh, the KNX Association, some engineering firms like Arab and others. Um, so, you know, th the interesting thing is you don't need to be a member to uh, download the stuff, use the stuff, um, use the reference implementations, even, you know, you don't need to be a, a member. Um, so this is more organizations that feel uh, comfortable enough um, to support the effort, right? They want to uh, donate their dues, if you will, to help the organization in its uh, development, its marketing efforts, et cetera. So. Mm, great. And I guess this ties into um, a question as well here. Um, how have you found the uptake of, of, Haytech, of Haystack tagging amongst some of the larger BAS providers? I can see that you've got Siemens on the list. Um, but yes. where they're asking, they were really fun. are they less, uh, have you found some or companies less receptive to having a more open approach to sharing data? Yeah, so, yeah, I think, there, you know, unfortunately, the reality is yes. So I've seen a couple of factors over the years. Um, first of all, the understanding, if, if, if companies are primarily focused on their product line as, you know, kind of a walled garden, then, you know, internally, you know what you're doing, right? You're setting up this point and you made it a temperature sensor and it's on VAB box seven and that's all you need to know. So the first thing that we see um, related to adoption is awareness, awareness that the data needs to go to other applications. And that can run up against, you know, proprietary attitudes of whether they're going to make their system open. The second thing is, okay, now uh, assessing the uh, technology, assessing the standard, uh, the work of Haystack and saying, okay, these guys are doing a good job. We should start adopting it. And then the third step is, well, what is the time frame for them to adopt it? They may have products or products that don't have any way to add anything that wasn't, you know, built in by the manufacturer. I think Niagara was unique in that um, respect. And it, uh, it had a, a concept of extensible points or um, in that they were called components. And that's why the Haystack community, one of the early things they did was go build extensions uh, for Niagara so you could add Haystack tags directly into Niagara. Now, since that time, Tritium has become uh, both a member of the organization and, uh, you know, they've uh, definitely uh, added Haystack tagging into their current generation. Uh, so, you know, it's a wide range. It isn't, uh, you know, 100% adopted in the products. Um, we think it will be more and more over time. The conversations we're having with other standards or organizations indicate that industry as a whole understands this challenge as it moves to data. Data now being more valuable than the devices it comes out of, actually, which is an interesting concept. Um, and, you know, we've had good um, recognition and adoption, which is some of the 
slides uh, have here. You know, first of all, recognized as a important new intelligent building technology. Um, conferences that are extremely well attended. Uh, white paper by industry organizations. Um, it is deployed and used in literally thousands of buildings and devices today. Um, and one of the interesting things about it is, you know, because there's no cost, there's no requirement to capture. and in products and people don't even know it right one of the things that is kind of a double-edged sword we think it's actually beneficial is let people adopt it and don't make them have to advertise that fact that fact and uh, they use it it streamlines how their systems work and they're using the tagging but you know they're not carrying a big flag around as I said it can be a double-edged sword because you know it might it would be helpful for those organizations to get behind it. But we wanted to solve the problem. We weren't trying to impose um, a marketing regime. Multiple community working groups focusing on different equipment systems and application segments. Um, so as far as solving this problem, um, you know, the, the evidence I think is very strong that, you know, this is, this is the leading solution. Um, and uh, you know, there's lots of reference material out there. There's a great article on, uh, you know, kind of our primer covers a lot of things we covered today, on a, um, a website called the New Deal Blog. There's also an article written by uh, key people in the Bachnet community of how you can um, embed, if you will, haystack tags into current versions of Bachnet. And of course, as I said, we're talking with them about you know streamlining, improving that. Uh, we write a magazine that may be a great people for a great way for people to look at adoption mm. we just came out with our fall 2017 it's 48 pages all contributed by the community of what people are doing with haystack from end users and why they they adopted it and are now specifying and requiring that their systems support haystack which is actually kind of interesting we're seeing some um end users really being a major um force to drive adoption because they're saying look this matters to me as part of my data management planning strategy so you will use this standard to define your data if you're going to sell systems to me and we have guide spec for that and uh, there's a lot of resources there so. yeah i think that uh, that's a super important point isn't it that that it's not this isn't just for um developers it's also for end users to get involved in and and if and if they can demand open standards, then then obviously we're going to get them used more through the industry. Yeah, and I think this is a good point to switch to that topic and uh, let Mark in here too. You know, uh, Mark, why don't you just talk about, you know, um, the end user community mm -hmm. and the tie-in with data management uh, planning. Well, let's, let's first, uh, thanks, John. Uh, thanks, Jim. I guess kind of look at this is that you know, when you look at data, the importance of data, and I think we'll all agree that uh, that is uh, a key um, deliverable today is the use of data, where maybe five or six years ago it may not have been important, is to have a, a good data management plan. And Don, you know, we've talked about the technology up until this point, but now kind of this whole data management plan and value for the end user really starts addressing the business side of Project Haystack and, and the value it delivers and brings to the business side. So when you look at data planning, Haystack is playing a key role in several places where you have to plan uh, your, your data management plan and your strategy. For example, we're seeing a lot in and around governance especially in institutions where uh, governance is a key to how they operate their business, healthcare, financial institutions, regulatory agencies, et cetera. Um, also, the fact that the data, as John alluded to earlier, is much more valuable than the device and the systems themselves is being able to play in an area of uh, you know who owns that data and who whose whose responsibility is it and uh, from th that perspective, obviously Haystack also helps with security and quality control of that data. 
um, and the the consistency and the integrity of it. And one of my most favorite ones is Haystack, and I've seen this in multiple uh, applications out there. Uh, Uh, is operating and managing and buildings or devices and systems with respect to your data. And, um, you know, one of the key value points is we talked about earlier on in the conversation was about data interoperability. And in order to have data interoperability, you need this normalization and the integration and the tagging and model. But, you know, with respect to end users, and I know we've started to go down there, there's some key factors that I think really is driving end users to one, their adoption, and then number two, how they are requesting and, and or demanding uh, their supply channel adopt uh, haystack tagging and whatnot is one, because it gives them a better understanding of the data and the data that's contained within the systems themselves. And And for this important today to capture the, the maximum value out of the data. Uh, we also see it in, I want my data to be portable, to be able to go from one device to another, one system to another, or send it to John, then send it to Jim, send it to Mark or whatever, being able to have that data portability and each person off of that branch of a tree, if you will, know full well what that data means and, and uh, to give that sense of uniformity. And I think when you talk to an end user, they're looking for solutions today that, you know, that are easy, that give them the data and the information they need, and that are uniform. And then, you know, the fact that we are uh, or Project ASAP, choice allows them to normalize the data no matter what system it is and flag data with special value and permits you know the use of certain types of data to classify and identify commercially viable and very useful data instead of having to go through every piece of data which as we all know uh, can be cumbersome and um, for the most part it's it's never-ending and then um, Two others I think that are very important when it comes to the end user is the avoidance of, of vendor lockdown. Um, and again, this is the influence of, uh, in this case, Haystack being open and to be able to share data amongst the different systems and uh, devices that are out there, regardless of who uh, whose name is on the, the manufactured brand. And then finally, transparency. Everybody today is looking for transparency in their operations and how they approach things. So this is, again, a, another area where uh, we believe that the end users are really gravitating to Project Haystack. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's, a, there's a great comment here. Um, someone says, estate portfolio operators want open source vendor neutrality and choice and project haystack is another golden thread on the journey to enable buildings that actually perform so yeah that's a great comment you know the, the you know if you make sure that your data is tagged according to the haystack model you're going to be able to move it to a different vendor supplier service provider etc without that you may be able to with a lot of manual work, you may not be able to, you know, and that gets the whole idea of transparency, portability, and just, you know, owners having a data management plan that says, this is my data, it's properly defined, I know it's portable, I know I'll be able to use it even if I decide that I want to work with a different vendor or an additional vendor. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got about five minutes left. Um, I've got a whole bunch of questions here for you guys. Um, yeah, let's we'll get, go for the questions. Uh, yeah, people can we'll, download the slides later, so absolutely. go for the questions. I was just going to say, um, let's get this out of the way first, because um, we're not going to be able to get through them all. So if people want to ask you two um, some specific questions, they don't get answered what they wanted to, to get out of the webinar, how can they get hold of you? 
We got that right here as the last slide. So let's put that up now. Those are our uh, our email addresses. Okay? There you go. So guys, sorry if you didn't get your questions answered, um, but there you go. There's how you can get hold of John and Mark. And uh, but we'll we'll try and do as best get through as many as we can. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, first one here. Um, do the software tools you mentioned earlier allow for auto tagging points, i.e., utilizing machine learning, or are they more a platform? that make manual tagging easier? The answer is both. Some of the tools are ideally set up for manual. So for example, I'll give you uh, an example of the, um, the open source um, tools that have been created to be added to Niagara. So I've got a Niagara older, you know, an older Niagara system I wanna add tagging. It comes with a little application where you, when you bring up your point, you, when you bring up a point, you know, zone one temperature sensor, you add the tags manually. And you know that still dramatically streamlines the effort because it's the technician who's defining the point who knows what he's doing about that point, and so he takes an extra fifteen or thirty seconds and adds the tags. And now from then on, nobody ever has to deal with that again. Now there are also people. That was actually two of the presentations. We're about to applying machine learning tools so that you can auto tag data. Now, there's still the algorithms of how do you go and interpret all the crazy, you know, diverse point names you may have out there. But actually, people we saw just this uh, last week, people making dramatic process uh, progress and saying they were achieving 70 and 80 percent um, consistency results of auto tagging points by machine learning algorithms that looked at the character strings and found patterns in them. Now, I don't know that any of the machine learning tools have been given to open source at this point, but the stuff they built them off of is all available out there. Great. And also a follow-up to that. Do, do you have a sense of the level and pace of adoption for haystack tagging in end devices? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a hard uh, question. Yeah. You know, there, there are products out there doing it today, right? Uh, air handler controllers, uh, demand response controllers, things like that. But I think what people are searching for with that question, uh, just you know, from having had similar discussions, they're looking for all the companies to say we're doing it. Um, we're certainly making that outreach. We'd love to see that. Um, we know companies who are using it, but as I said. Don't mention it. They actually use it as a great internal way for their own tools to work better. Um, it's really hard to answer what the pace of that is. But let's go to the you know the most uh, negative case of that that doesn't get adopted rapidly in the end devices. Everyone still needs to deal with this issue. So going back to that diagram, at some point in the chain from the device to the applications, this has to be dealt with. The data has to be mapped. The uh, descriptors have to be added. So what we're saying is even for devices that don't have it, here's a standard methodology so that once you do apply it, learn the methodology and apply it, you're now streamlining everything that will happen downstream from that. Mm. Um, so you know, we hope more and more devices will adopt it in, in the end. Uh, I would say that one of the challenges we see from people who make devices they're not responsible for the applications, so their mindset often doesn't think that way. Wait a minute, John, I'm just trying to ship an electric meter that's as simple and low cost as possible. I don't know what people do with it, right? And so uh, they haven't, you know, internalized the need to do some of these things. And then to, just to add to what John said, on sort of on the on the other side of that is, as this whole world of IoT continues, it's uh, push and we all are, uh, are working with it is the device manufacturers, the equipment manufacturers, and being able to to John's earlier model there on the, the first one on the left hand side is to be able to connect into their equipment or their device directly without going to it through a BMS system and to be able to tag it and everything else to do their own internal analytics on their equipment and stuff is an avenue where we're seeing some mm -hmm. uh, 
door opening, if you will, to uh, to embrace haystack. Hmm. Right. Time for one final uh, question, I guess. Um, how is or is haystack involved in addressing um, authentication problems for devices? That is a very sophisticated uh, security authentication mechanism that's part of the standard, part of the API. Uh, for those of people who are interested in the technical details, that's all available uh, on the Project Haystack website. Uh, that authentication mechanism has been adopted um, recently by Tritium and their product, and it's fundamental to you know anybody building off of the latest versions of Haystack. That's part of the API. And it's a you know a very solid authentication mechanism that uses uh, uh, IT industry standard uh, processes. So that's definitely been part of the work of the community. Great. Well, I guess it just remains for to to wrap this up. Look, I'm really sorry for the people that we didn't get through your questions. Um, as we said, um, you've uh, you've got Mark and John's email addresses there, uh, but also I will also put up obviously all of these. Um, the show notes, these slides, um, links to where you can get uh, some resources, and also um, the the uh, the audio recording, so you you get all of the um, all of the stuff from from this webinar. Uh, and of course, if you want to subscribe to future content, uh, we're now on SoundCloud, we're now on iTunes, so you can uh, just search for for Smart Building Series, and uh, you'll find us there. So yeah, it just really remains for me to say. A big thank you uh, to you guys, John. Mark. Really appreciate you taking the time, and um, yeah, it was really well attended uh, webinar. I think everyone is super happy with with that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Speak to you soon, and thanks everyone for listening. Cheers.